0: And, uh, one of you will be here to, to touch start it after Hargo's comments. Thank It's a foreign apparatus. I'm Hi, I'm Jeffrey. I'm there. Hello. Thank you. you, you? Uh, uh, shift over. uh, it will actually be Hargo who will be speaking. And right. I don't know if you just to just say. I beg your pardon. am so sorry. I beg your pardon. Okay, well, welcome to the, uh, the Rocky Holger picture show. Um, it's not often that I'm embarrassed by the Queen, uh, but I have to say yesterday she did uh, a knighting ceremony. She, uh, people kneel down. In Great Britain you only go down on one knee in front of the head of state. Anyway, she did the knighting ceremony of Bill Gates, as you all know, and then four giants of the British pop industry, including Eric Clapton. And uh, after the ceremony, I mean, they were all there with their wee name badges, and uh, she sort of sidled up and said, oh, Mr. Clapton, what do you do? <laughs> well, no- nobody comes to the Mershon Centre and doesn't know what Holger Herwig does. Which is great, because it means I can do a real short introduction. He's published more than a dozen books, including this one, The Destruction of the Bismarck. But he hasn't in fact come to push- puff his book. Not this time. He's come to puff a program on which he appeared. Because one of the interesting things that happens for historians is we're asked to be historical consultants uh, often on things we know very little about. But in Holger's case, he was asked to do something he knew a lot about, having written on it. And it creates a dilemma. And uh, as probably you all know, he, he is here for the, uh, the big conference tomorrow and uh, over the weekend on the origins and the, the pathology of World War I. And he very graciously agreed, uh, because last time we talked about this, to introduce his film, and to tell us the, the sort of dilemmas that come up, the sort of choices that you have to make when you're invited to be a historical consultant on a TV movie. What you get asked to do, what you can say yes to, what you can say no to, the sort of split-second calls you have to say. Is this right? Yes or no? And eventually, go down and dive and find the Bismarck. So there's, as you'll see, Holger in his suit Uh, and his great big hat on, uh, being thrown down the ocean. And if we're very lucky, you'll see him come up again. Anyway, it's always a pleasure, Holger. Thank you so much for arranging to do this. The format is, Holger will tell us a little bit about it, tell us what to look for, we're then going to see the film, and then he'll answer questions afterwards, and then we go out and uh, there's a, a little reception outside. Thank you very much.
1: Happy to do that, Jeffrey. People have actually asked me, you know, how big were the tanks you wore when you went down there? And uh, just to let you know, the Bismarck is 4,850 meters down, which is 15,900 feet. It's a little hard to do with tanks. Jeffrey was going to entitle this uh, Sink the Bismarck, My Part and Its Fate, but I think Julie headed him off from that Spike Milligan analogy to volume two of Adolf Hitler, my partner's downfall. This whole thing started out by Cameron, who was just an absolute diving nut, wanting to go down and film the Bismarck. And it began with, how do you get permission? And I think the hardest part of the whole project was I spent three months working with the German government, which it turns out under, I think it's Article 127 of the Basic Law of 1949, not the Ministry of Defense, but the Ministry of Economics has the right to all German Nazi war goods. So that I actually ended up negotiating with Minister Eichel in the economics department to get the right to go down. International law simply doesn't apply to anything, according to Cameron, since the Commonwealth of Virginia has the legal rights of things to the Titanic, simply because they rushed to a courtroom first and filed first. And the Scharnhorst has been discovered, the Norwegians immediately declared it a national memorial, but apparently under international law, no one cares. The German government's attitude is the Bismarck, 400 kilometers west of Brest, France, is a national graveyard and should be treated as a national cemetery. So in the end, we got around a long agreement whereby we would not disturb anything, take anything off, and in fact, treat it as such. The next part was to try and get the plans for the Bismarck because Cameron wanted to dive down and as you'll see using this remote operated vehicle that his brother Mike has developed to be able to go into it to get plans of the floors. So I went to the archive in boys, and I said, they said, oh yes, we've got these plans. And I said, where do you get them from? Oh, and they said, those came to us early in 1990 after the accession of East Germany to West Germany. I said, where were they before that? Well, one Joseph Stalin took them home in 1945 to build his own Blue Fleet Navy. And what better war plans than the Bismarck? And these things were about, my hands not go wide enough, about two meters wide and about five meters long on heavy plastic. And so I spent about three weeks on the floor of the archive unrolling all these things. We got them all photocopied, sent to Malibu, California, where they then built computer simulations for diving down through the various decks of all of this. The dive you will see is from an old Russian ship, the Keldish, which was designed to go down and tap into American cables on the bottom of the Atlantic. It is now of course a peaceful research ship and so the two submersibles are called Mir. They did not like the word U-boat in referring to them. (laughs) They're made of nickel steel they allegedly can go down to 20,000 feet and they're kept at one atmosphere inside by, if you'll see it in the cabin, a big blue cylinder of pure oxygen and scrubbers to take the carbon dioxide out. And of course, the greatest danger is an electrical fire down there. That's the one thing they really worry about. And if that happens, you're toast. Uh, The inside of the front of the submersible, which you'll soon see, is six feet in diameter. For those of you who remember, as I know Dick does, the old Volkswagen Beetle, it's about the size of that with a Russian pilot who kneels in the middle and on small couches, two passengers who can go down with them. The whole dive takes 13 hours. You go down and up at 22 meters per minute, three hours down, seven hours filming, three hours up, no facility on board, and as Cameron said, nobody fouls the air by pissing in my boat. (laughs) So literally you start the morning before and you have one piece of dry bread and one shot of good single malt, because it helps dehydrate. Breakfast, the same single piece of bread. Lunch, the same piece of bread or piece of bread, and then off you go, and you hope for the best. Now, when you get down there, the pressure is in metric 470 bars, which is 6,742 pounds per square inch compared to 14 pounds at sea level. So, you have some idea of the incredible pressure that's down there. And yet, as you'll see in, in the film, life lives down there. Huge white crabs, three the, times the size of Dungeness crabs, big rat tail fish, black about yay long, that obviously not only survive but reproduce down there, in An utter and total blackness. Temperature down there is exactly zero degrees, and what you'll see in the film, what looks like dirt is not, it's icicles that float by down there at that level. To see anything, Cameron's brother developed these huge lights on front of the mirrors that you'll see, so one mirror is basically acting as a light ship while the other one is down filming and they work in tandem this way to get at things. The ocean floor, I've asked some geologists and others, nobody knows for sure at that depth. I was told if I wanted to be scientific, use the word rock and leave it at that. The guess is that it's a silica SiO2, but again only 2% of the world's oceans at that depth have been explored. When I went down, I think I was the 24th person, certainly the oldest and fattest, to ever go down to that level. And it really and truly is another word. You'll see rusticles, stalactites and stalagmites, look almost like bee combs. These are microorganisms that are eating away at ships at that depth, and we had a biologist on board, brought them up, put them under electron microscope. They are living creatures. That's why other than tourist damage, the Titanic is virtually destroyed. They give the Bismarck about 30 years because it's made of better Votan Krupp steel. But these things suck the steel right out of wrecks. And after a while, all that's left is carbon that will disintegrate. Now when you watch the show, what happens is the Bismarck, they estimate 50,000 tons roughly, full of water. You're talking about 110, 120,000 tons, turtling, then hurtling down 15,900 feet. And Cameron's experts, he had, estimate that it probably hit at 20 to 30 miles an hour. And it hit nose first, slammed into a mountain which when you first look at it, looks like an eerie night crater scene of World War I. That was my first thought of it. And when we went down, you go inside this crater, then go through the slide, because the Bismarck slid about three quarters of a kilometer down the side of the mountain before she then went sideways and stopped. And so you just slide down what looks like a World War I trench. And on the way there, you'll see there's a huge debris field. The heavy 38-centimeter guns, of course, were loose on the barbettes, so when it turtled, they fell out. The bridge had been so blown apart, especially by HMS Rodney's 16-inch guns, that it fell off. And one of the first things you'll see in the film is the bridge is totally upside down, just stuck down there. One of the great worries the Germans had, and we had two veterans along of the Bismarck, eighteen year old kids, who were wonderful, wonderful veterans, because they weren't like and I don't mean this in a derogatory or insulting sense, the Brits were just awful. Though the survivors <laughs> no perfidious Albion in there, Jeffrey in the sense that they've become a professional veterans association. Whenever we interviewed them, we were all part of the same war, all part of the Navy. We, Navy, were all brethren. And they have these meetings in fleetly slew with the Bismarcks and vice versa. And a lot of the Germans are the same. We had two guys who said, we were 18-year-old kids. They'd both gone up to be Occupation of Denmark, as my father had, and lived off the fat of the land, literally. And a week before the Bismarck left Gdynia, they got called out, Why don't you come on board? And away you go. You know, they said, We'd been trained as Nazis. We were 18 years old. He said, If the Sheffield hadn't picked us up at a German U boat, I'd have volunteered for the next ship to go out and shoot goddamn Englishmen. He said, That's how we were. And they ended up, till 1947, logging in northern Ontario, which is no pleasant shore at any time of the year. And it was really refreshing to have these guys with us. Well, they're worried we're going to see some of our comrades down there. And people were really surprised how quickly everything down there was degraded, human. So that all you will see are Wehrmacht boots, on the floor of the ocean, a leather jacket over an Arado float plane that's still down there, because the rest of it is just gone. And one argument is that calcium carbonate, they think, somehow dissolves at around 3,700 meters. But even the medical people I talked to are really surprised that in that relatively short span of 70 years, it was all gone. In the film, you will see terrible, terrible internal destruction. Fires raging throughout the ship. And you can still see a lot of that from this. On the other hand, the teak and oak deck looks almost like it did 1941 in Humboldt. You can see the swastika where Hitler walked on when he inspected the ship on May the 7th. They built things well in the 40s in Hamburg, Jeffrey. You will see an absolute clear shot of the impact hole of the torpedo that crippled the Bismarck. And you will also see what probably most important we discovered there was no way they could have saved her. They thought of blowing the um, propellers off, the rudders, And in, I think, it's the, it's either the middle, I haven't seen it for a while, the rudder, literally, when that torpedo struck, fell into the screw and jammed. So, you know, no matter how you try and move that, it wasn't going to happen. There are tremendous computer images that Cameron did, because he has the money to do them, of how they think the ship turtled, went down, Where it hit, where it impacted. The reenactments that were done were done on the USS North Carolina at Wilmington to try and sort of show what happened on the Bismarck. And last but not least, of course, watch for the movie star, The Blonde from Humboldt. Do we have someone to yes. hit this? Good.
0: you from an to cross the <laughs> No. <laughs>